0: Welcome to The Family with
1: Doug Sprinthal
0: and Andy Ray Bernard. And we'll be right back. Shane Stanley will join us. What you don't learn in film school, a complete guide to independent filmmaking. Shane Stanley will join us right after this with The Family. Want to do a spot? Sure,
1: let's talk about buying cars. Yeah. Go ahead. We'll talk over each other. Y- no, I you just go want first.
0: to go. Walzer yeah. <laughs> Automotive Group,
1: So we talked about this on the morning show. We are buying used cars, and I got a call from... Dana Harms, two nights ago, or as I referred to him, I think after Andy's wedding, is uh, Mr. Katie Harms. Remember Mister, that?
2: Yes, he, Mr. Katie <laughs> Harms. <laughs> yes. yeah,
0: he, he loves that. Yeah, no he, he, he's it. a
1: good guy, actually. He was, uh, I reached Doctor out to him Harms. for some advice, actually, before I had my surgery. But anyway, they had a Lexus. The lease was coming due, and they wanted to know if we wanted to make an offer on it, so I connected them with our buyer at the Toyota store. And then yesterday, Katie started to get a little tough. Oh, you know, God, I've already got a number from Lexus, go. and I've got one from another dealer, so it better be good. Oh, God. Um, so I texted Katie. her about five or six hours later. I said, how'd it go? And she goes, I, I was in and out so fast, and I've got my money, and I'm sitting in the back of an Uber heading home right now. So thank you. So, if you want to get a bid on your car, go to walzerbuyscars.com and type in all the information. Or if you want to do it more directly, you can always contact me at, at com and I'll connect you with the appropriate people. But used car values are still really high right now.
0: It is a wonderful thing. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad
1: Sean Bryant, what's the latest?
0: amateurs why not bank with my banker north american banking company a better banking experience member fdic An equal housing lender we've just decided sitting here in studio a that if doug ever flat lines i'll just kick him in the nuts it'll be phenomenal (laughs)
1: Yeah, it happens so often, I probably won't react.
0: (laughs) used to it by now. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, what you don't learn in film school, a complete guide to independent filmmaking. Shane Stanley, how are you, sir?
2: I'm good. Good morning. Thanks for
0: having me. It's a pleasure. Now, where are you from originally, Shane? Uh,
2: Born and raised uh, in Los Angeles, California.
0: Well, the only reason I ask is I'm uh, I'm friends of a a family of Stanleys in Minneapolis, and there were 11 children, so you could have snuck by, and I wouldn't even have known it was you. (laughs)
2: And 11 children. <laughs> well, I, I have a lot of family in New York and Florida, and uh, I have some some step step relatives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, well, you do on the Schreiber side, and, and you probably know that name. Sure. But uh, that's that's all uh, through marriage, and I do have quite a few in D.C. I found out just last year. I have an entire family there that I met during the pandemic.
0: See, it's all good news, Shane. That's all I have to say. Ladies and gentlemen. It's exciting. Multi Emmy Award winning uh, filmmaker Shane Stanley writes a book anyone and everyone should read if they want an entertainment industry insider's professional guidance on how to create a movie. Do you th- Shane, does everyone think they can write to create a movie? Does everyone think they can do that?
2: You know, what's funny is is everybody thinks their life story is worth making a movie about. Right, oh, right. right. God, and, and what I learned a long time ago from Jennifer McGuire, who who got an Academy Award nomination for, for In the Line of Fire, uh, he said, you know, what I tell people when they say my life would make a great story is I just look at them and say, hey, great, you should write it. And you'd be amazed how many people don't write all of a sudden. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, yeah, I mean, we have so many tools now. You know, with our phones, these inexpensive DSLR cameras you can get at Costco and in, in, in Best Buy. Uh, you know, there's no excuse for, for saying you don't have the tools to be a filmmaker. Uh, you know, uh, editing software and, and outputting to things like YouTube, Vimeo, and, and whatever else, social media pages. You're technically a filmmaker if you're if you're doing it. So I, I encourage everybody, yes, go be a filmmaker.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, one thing, a bit of advice I would give to you, Mr. Stanley, is uh, you need to get your book into every college and university in America about what you're going to have to do if you're going to put it in uh, in the colleges and universities of America you're gonna to have to raise the price up to about five hundred bucks a book. Is that okay with you?
2: Julie, noted, and I will say, you know, I, I have been fortunate enough the book is has been made mandated reading in a few of the schools oh, around yeah. the country. Sure. And I have been blackballed by some of the big ones just based on the title. So, you know, what? I'm not anti film school. Mm-hmm. No yeah. I've had I've had a couple of them go from being my best friend to having me there doing workshops and webinars to getting handed the manuscript and never talking to me again. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: kind of a paradox. I'm not
2: anti-film school. I'm not anti-film school. Right. I, just, I have an issue with people spending six figures to get a degree mm-hmm. when 86% of these people will never earn a dime in an industry.
3: Oh, that's very true. Yeah, it's probably the hardest industry to get into, honestly.
2: You think? Uh, you know, it's know. very difficult. It's, it's, um, it's like winning the lottery for some people, and yeah. all I want to do is I want to give people the opportunity Become steady earners. You know, they get these massive, expensive degrees in these fine institutions, and they're not taught the business of the business. They're not taught the basic fundamentals on how to start from the ground up and make, you know, lifelong relationships that for me are now going 40, 50 years. And it, it's about it's about relationships. It's about digging ditches. It's about right. getting your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. It's not about writing a script for your mom's basement and becoming the next Quentin Tarantino. That's that's like getting zapped by lightning twice in the same in the same week, you know, it's not gonna happen for many people. So what I try to do is teach people how to get into the industry and while they're working on their dreams and hoping you know waiting for their shift to come in, they can become steady earners and make these great connections that'll change their lives down the road. Nothing better than being on a set is a grip or a gaffer or a focus puller and needing producers and directors who will read your script. that's your sitting at home waiting for the phone
0: to ring. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense to me. Uh, so do you... I suppose it's like everybody, everybody has written a book and everybody wants to make a movie and everybody... I mean, written a book in their minds now, of course, not actually sat down mm-hmm. and gotten the work done, but they've written a book sure. in their minds... And they got a movie in their minds, and I bet you that would go over huge. But do people really realize how much time and money and effort and so many other things are necessary to get from book to movie? sir is it is it even do they even get that? No. No. Uh, yeah.
2: I you know I was very fortunate with the book. The book came by accident. I was I was giving advice to a filmmaker I didn't know, probably the third guy that week. I spent two or three hours on the phone with him. Nice guy. And I hung up the phone. My wife came into my office and said, you know, it's the third person you've talked to this week. You spent over six hours on the phone. You're not getting your own work done. So I sat down and I wrote a book and it took me 20 days to write the book. Okay. And because it, it, it was just, it was easy for me. It wasn't a fiction book. It was, you know, just talking about our business and all the advice I've been given or asked over the years but I know people that are writing books, that take years. And then they're trying to get it published, trying to get it in the hands of people. And, and when it comes to making movies, you know, from concept to delivery, these things can take years.
0: Oh, I, yeah, there's no question about that. You know, on a much smaller scale, obviously, I've been, I've been in radio now over 50 years, a little over 50 years, and I do a morning show in town, Then we do this show in the afternoon, and, and all the rest of it. And one thing I've discovered... Shane, and I'm sure you've discovered the same thing in, in Hollywood, is that everybody's an expert at radio and television and movie making, and everybody's an expert yep. somehow. How is that?
2: I, I think because they watch it a lot. Yeah, you know, It's like true. the people that watch the escape artist get out of a uh, straitjacket or you know, true. The, the magician who does card <laughs> tricks. They can do it better, but they've never done it. <laughs>
0: That's very
2: true. But no, I hear more people are experts in radio in L.A. than I do film and television, actually. <laughs> oh,
0: so everybody's an expert at radio in Los Angeles?
2: Oh, yeah. They all had an internship at the biggest radio station in history and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I actually only know two people in, in the years I, I've grown up that actually had really solid radio careers and in, in the production side.
0: Oh, yeah, and right. I think right. I've met
2: 500 that said they did. <laughs>
0: well, two, 500, what's the difference? It's, it's,
2: it's quite a balance, isn't
0: it? <laughs> it all works out in the end is all I know. It's it's just, I don't know. I, I got very, very, very lucky because in, uh, in the 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s, I, I spent a lot of time in Chicago and Los Angeles and, and lived in New York doing a lot of voiceover, did a lot of movie trailers and that kind of thing, so I was around a lot of actors. Oh, and wow. It. And just watching them do that, it was pretty... Like I, I, I realized immediately though, while I was in the booth and they're directing me on, on how to do the movie trailer and all the rest of it, uh, I realized that I could never do what they do because they, they, it's a different deal. They have a, and it's I don't different. mean an arrogance; it's a confidence they have that that I yeah. doubt many people would have.
2: It's it's different, but you know, I, uh, I I've been around some broadcasters and people in radio and i watch them and my jaw drops i i, I marvel at what you do um you know i have been doing what i do so long that it becomes second nature you know mm-hmm. you, you yeah. gear up you commit to getting a film made and you go through the process it's grueling it's tough but we know the drill and and i love watching people in other lines of media such as yourself that i'm so foreign to and, and watch you guys do your magic, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, just to be able to have a, a successful podcast and hold an audience, you know, every day or every week, however often, you know, you go out, and it's, I, God, I don't know how, how you guys do it. I marvel at it. Yeah,
0: we just don't ever want to shut up. That's our problem.
1: And we think we're super interesting. Yeah,
2: we
0: really think we're interesting. <laughs> just Dude, I... ask
1: me I how think... interesting I am.
0: I forgot about that part. You're right about that.
2: <laughs> well, if if you think your your life should be made into a movie, then I'll believe you're really interesting, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right, exactly. Shane, if you don't mind me asking, Ballpark, how old are you? Uh,
2: I have no problem with you asking me that. I, I turn 50 next week.
0: Because I was going to say, you sound like you're about
3: 22.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I still get carded to buy lottery It's the vegan diet my wife has me on. My my vegan lifestyle, my wife has had me on for a long time. I I look younger now than I did 15 years ago. Yeah, you
0: sound very, very I'm, I'm
2: the curious case of Benjamin Button.
0: See, you'll be a perfect example for people, though. If you're going to turn 50 this year, they're going, my God, I mean, that, that business is so easy. He sounds like he's 22. It must be a really easy business to get into and, and succeed at.
2: As I go grayer and grayer.
0: Yeah, well, there it is, exactly. Was there one movie in your life as a young man, Shane, that you, you saw and went, man, that's what I wanted. Was it one movie, several movies? Well,
2: you know, my father was a documentary filmmaker. Oh, okay. He had come from being a, a working actor and, you know, he had co-starred in films like, you know, Hotel and Ice Station Zebra. Oh. And he fell in love with the idea of being a filmmaker. So he bought all the toys, you know, edit systems and, and cameras and all that. And we had him around the house as I was growing up. And he'd take our family to movies every week and every Friday or Thursday, whatever it was. And I remember there was a couple of films that really changed my life. And the first one I know was, was The Black Stallion with Mickey Rooney oh, and sure, uh, yeah. Terry Garr and, and Hoyt Axton. I remember seeing that, and, and that movie just, just moved me. I mean, it was like, I remember. I think I was seven, eight years old when it came out. And growing up with Dad, you know, when, when the home video recorder players came out in the early 80s, we, we got our first VCR in 1981, and every week he would go to the video store and just gobble up movies for us to watch, and there was just so many. I mean, it, it could have been something like Vacation with Chevy Chase and Anthony Michael Hall is a comedy. It could have been, sure. you know, a man and a woman, which was a great from the 60s, you know, uh, or, um, you know, even something like Chariots of Fire. I mean, it was just, I realized there are so many different ways to tell a story, so many different genres, so many different, you know, things that could be done in those 90 minutes. And it really inspired me to just take a stab at it.
0: Yeah, I could, I could understand that. If you don't mind, I just want to ask you this because it, it just struck me the other day because I saw a, a trailer um today is a different day in filmmaking obviously it's much different than it was 10 20 30 40 50 years ago and i i literally just saw about 10 minutes of the movie Animal House the other day. There is no yeah. way they could make that movie today. Not a chance, Shane.
1: It's going to be 18 yeah, minutes make long.
0: Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles might be another good example <laughs> of it. But that scene, and I don't remember this scene, Shane. Well, I do now because I just saw it, but I did not remember when uh, Thomas Hulse is in bed with that girl and she takes her bra off and he says something and she goes, I'm only 13. I'm like, oh, my yeah. God. Dean Wormer's daughter. I don't, Dean think, that was,
2: I don't think that was pass muster with, you know. With <laughs> no. the, uh, yeah. What do they call that the department that, that governs everything we do?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: Those Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: Shane, I, I watch it, now, but there is no, uh, does you mind if we dance with your dates? There's no way that movie's in. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no way. God. But, you know, that's what makes it, A classic. I mean, what made it great is what they they pushed the envelope. Even back then they were. Now, you know, the envelope, (laughs) you can't push it. But, no, there's some great films. You know, you think about that. You think about Blazing Saddles. You think about, you know, even some of the comedies, especially, that were, you know, just had those tongue-in-cheek moments or those visual flashes that just would never happen today. So And uh, I get it.
0: Yeah, Shane, I mean, you're probably not going to include... You're not going to include the line. That's an old big N work song. You probably won't be putting that in your next movie, like they did in Blazing you know, Saddles.
2: I think that one's probably not going to make it. <laughs> uh, I, I just, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we've you know we've we've come such a a long way, and I. I and I don't have an issue with it, you know, I like to just, I just like to tell slice of life stories. And sure, We've sure. really moved into the action comedy genre, the action thriller genre in the last few years. It's been a lot of fun uh, working with people, and, right. and uh, you know, it, it's, it's fun, because you just put a gun in a in, in somebody's hands and let them take care of business, or put them in a fast car and let them, you know, run over the bad guys, and uh, it kind of speaks for itself. No,
0: it does. It does. Shane, as far as working with actors are concerned, because obviously when I was a young boy, I was very lucky uh, because we had people like you know Marlon Brando and you know you go down mm-hmm. the list of all these magnificent actors. They're just incredible. Paul Newman was a- a- amazing. Montgomery yeah. Clift, what a hell of an actor that man was. Uh, Nobody
2: wore a pair of pajamas
0: better. No, <laughs> that's very very true. But do we? I am assuming we still have. Actors that care that much. It just seemed to me like they cared so much about the job they did. I'm assuming that we still have actors that, that care a great deal, don't we?
1: I will tell you that I've i have been watching this uh, show. I think it's on HBO Max, Mayor of East Town. Oh,
0: I love that show. With Kate uh, Winslet. She's, she's phenomenal. phenomenal. She in is that. great in that show. Master
2: of her craft.
1: She, it's really incredible.
0: She is indeed. It's true. Yeah,
2: it's a great show, and I'm a huge fan of hers. I mean, you know, to answer your question, it. it, it yeah, you know now everybody wants to be an internet star. It, it's funny when you when you deal and I still do, you know, advise or, or consult with a lot of indie films and God, they, they're more interested in getting Instagram models and people with with a lot of likes than yeah. they are somebody mm-hmm. who knows the craft. And I always try to remind them, look, I get it. There's a balance. You know, you're gonna you're gonna hate yourself in the edit bay. You're gonna be cringing when this thing comes out. If, if an actor doesn't know their line and know the craft. How to deliver and be a good listener and take direction. You're gonna, you're gonna just kill it. You're gonna sink the ship. And you know, um, it's 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 become a, a very myopic. It's become a very, you know, being a filmmaker is. We're all myopic. We're all very self-centered, especially actors. And I say that with all the love I can muster. Right. But there was, a, you know, there was a time where actors really focused on the craft to better themselves. Yes. Yep. And, and now it's more about Instagram-like. It's more about, you know, getting the perfect can or, the you know, uh, my wife and I are addicted to the show Botched, and it's just so funny to watch these people come in and ruin themselves <laughs> oh, trying to look a certain way. Oh, God. It's not about was... that, you know? No. <laughs> well, I, I, just, I, I, think... I just love actors that know their craft, that, yep. that are passionate about the work and, and call and say, hey, I've been rereading this scene. I have an issue with it. Let's break this down. I have an issue
3: I think the fact it's, that it's
2: far, it's getting further it's getting further in between, I'll tell you that. Yep.
3: I think the fact that so many actors don't really seem to care is actually a side effect of the accessibility that you were talking about earlier. The yeah, fact maybe. that you Probably. know, everyone's got a camera that would have that you know, your phone makes a fifty year old really high end forty thousand dollar camera look like a piece of crap. So everyone yep. can make a fantastic looking fantastic sounding movie with zero budget and that kind of just cheapens yep. the whole experience because it's like you know before it was like you we have this millions of dollars of equipment and millions and millions right. of dollars of sets and you know uh production team and everything and if i don't do a good job here it's kind of a big deal because it took so many millions of dollars to put this together whereas now it's like oh you just take out your phone who cares if it sucks you know it cost us nothing
2: yeah i hey i wish the insurance companies felt that way you know we still have to insure for three million dollars worth of equipment oh, and, sure. and mm-hmm. damage and yep. we're, you know even our highest end cameras. you know you pull some of these high-end electives or reds they're they're still you know they're they're not very expensive no. compared to the older equipment and Um, You're right. I mean, there's no excuse, as I I think I said earlier, there's no excuse for anybody not to be a filmmaker. I encourage everybody who has a passion to do it or or is thinking about it to do it. Uh, We have everything at our disposal, and, you know, especially in post-production. I mean, you can't buy a computer without, you know, an edit program somewhere buried in it. And and Everybody has everything they need to go do it.
3: Well, and even if you do need to buy it, it's... A post-production studio 30 years ago was an entire room full of machinery. It probably cost, you know, $5 million oh, yeah. to put together. And now it's sure like did. $30 a month for, you know, a, a, an Adobe suite. But the only
1: thing that you can't buy, even you know, if it's cheap, it's, is a story. I
3: remember, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you how right on you
2: are. When, when I was really starting to break into the independent film world and working with studios and editing and doing all the stuff at a high level, we, we started our company, and to get an Avid suite was about $180,000 yep. for an edit suite that was, that was you know, like top of the line. And we couldn't afford it, so we went and got ourselves, you know, a D-Vision, which went the way of the Dodo really quick. It was only twelve grand And then, thank God, you know, Final Cut Pro came out, and then Adobe. And here we are, 20, 25, 30 years later, went from $160,000, $180,000 edit suite to literally $49 a month uh, subscription to Adobe and <laughs> yep. a decent computer you can spend between two yeah. and ten grand on, you're ready to go. You can
3: make a movie. Well, even just 20 years ago when they were making the basically not the first 3D games but very early 3D games, right. in order to yep. render those graphics, you had to buy something like a silicon graphics workstation, which That's right, it cost you twenty thousand dollars and it a modern calculator can pretty much compete with it, I would say, but <laughs> that's how it was back then. It's, you know, there yeah. it was such a new market that you you had to pay the price of a new car in order to get something that today would be considered garbage if you found it brand new in a box.
2: Yeah, I think the only thing that really hasn't dropped in price is the glass, you know, the lenses for the camera. Oh, right? yeah, those are all um,
3: I mean, you can't car. really make that cheaper and easier. No.
2: No, I, I still marvel at you know when we get two hundred millimeter lens or even bigger. I mean, those things and what you're up for what their value is—they're yeah. off the charts. And and I get that. I mean, the glass is everything.
3: Well, in and order to um, make that glass, you know, it has to be produced in such a specific way because even the tiniest little mm-hmm. uh, little aberration in the glass is going to ruin the entire camera. Right.
2: Right. Oh yeah. So, yeah. We were. You know, it's funny. I just did a film during the pandemic called Double Threat. And uh, Canon stepped up and said, "We want to. We want to provide uh, lenses and cameras. We have these new cameras and lenses. We want. Would you try them?" And I got to tell you, I fell in love with them. These new Canon lenses that we use. Uh, the look of the film it gave such a unique look. And you know, Canon's always been very, mm-hmm. very aggressive in in cameras and lenses. But you know, everybody goes for the cooks and and the other ones. And and, and I tell you, these new Canon. And I'm not trying to give them a shameless plug. I, I was blown away. Um, and, and the cost of them were still pretty astronomical, but comparing to some of the other ones, um, you know, you can get into some of these lenses for relatively respectable amount of money and still get a great look, but the lenses are still really the expensive part of the camera pack.
0: Yeah. You know, Shane, I have, a, I have to ask you a question. We've got to take a break in about one minute. Can you stay with us for for another segment after the, uh, we do have about a two-minute? As two long minute, as bro. you'll have one here, I
2: don't have anything to do until next Thursday. Okay, Excellent. so we're going to be on for a week. I'm a filmmaker.
0: We're going to be on for a week. So I want to ask you, just going into the break here, take about one minute, um, and, and a very specific scene that I'm talking about. Uh, you got the writer, you got the director, you got uh, you know, obviously the producer, all these people on on site there. Um, and I want to know how, you know, not a in depth too much, but how this all works. There's a scene I just saw, and I believe the movie first came out in 1970 or 71. Cool Hand Luke that came out. What, wow, one of my favorites. Phenomenal movie. It was like yeah. 70, 71, 72, something like that, wasn't it, Shane? I think. Yep. Okay, so now again, you got the writer, producer, the director, the the crew. You got everybody. Everybody's there. That scene when Paul Newman's mother comes to visit him, sitting in the rocking chair in the back of that old pickup truck, and she comes in to the visit horse him... Buggy. In the horse Yeah, absolutely. To this... 50 years later, Shane, I'm a 69-year-old man. It made me tear up to watch that scene 50 years later. That's wow. some writing, don't you think? So that's some acting.
2: Yeah, that storytelling and everybody was on point and on their game. I mean, it's yep. amazing when you get those moments that 50 years later, a film can still play. Um, we were joking about Animal House and some of the other films earlier that that aren't allowed to play. But yeah, there's there's moments in cinema where you just watch something and it's timeless. It's it's actors at their craft, cinematographers, directors, writers, producers, hopefully letting the filmmakers do their job without yep. you know muddying yep. it up. Yeah. Um, some of that some of that storytelling.
0: You know, in that film, it's so well done. Oh God, it's amazing! But but I honestly, I'm sitting there and kind of tearing up a little bit. They're not openly weeping, but tearing up a little bit. And my wife goes, "What's the matter with you?" And I said, "What do you mean? He's never going to see his mother alive again." <laughs> you know. Hey, you know, I get I get just as
2: emotional when I watch Cool Running. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool,
0: and Luke Cool Runnings. You know, whatever works.
2: I, I got to tell you, cool, cool Runnings is my Rudy. It's, it's one of those movies, sure. no matter what, if, if it's on, I don't care what part of the show it's on, I stop everything and watch it, and I cry every time those guys crash the box, I'd pick it up and walk it, and it's <laughs> <laughs> that's well, it. That's storytelling. It is
0: storytelling, man. There's no doubt about it. We'll take a quick break. Back with more with Shane Stanley. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. Uh, I love talking to you, Shane. Great talking to you. Oh, uh, thank what,
2: you. Feelings mutual
0: guys. Thank you. What you don't learn in film school, a complete guide to independent filmmaking. It's available on Amazon and everywhere else. Back more with Shane Stanley right after this with the family. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. Well, he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now Mike has done it again by introducing his new My Slippers. Mike has taken over two years to develop. The My Slippers are designed to wear indoor and outdoor all day long. Made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, and made with quality leather suede. For a limited time, Mike is offering 40% off his new my slippers. The my slippers are so comfortable, you'll want to get some for the whole family, which is what we did. Call 1-800-516-5146 or use promo code Tom, of course. 1-800-516-5146. Use promo code TOM or go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square and use promo code TOM. You'll also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Call 1-800-516-5146. Use promo code TOM. Dan Chesky is here from Dan Southside Marine to talk boats in February.
1: 2021 is all about boat inventory or the lack thereof.
0: Whatever it
2: takes.
0: We are back, ladies and gentlemen. The book, What You Don't Learn in Film School, a complete guide to independent filmmaking. It's available on Amazon and everywhere. Shane Stanley, our special guest. What a great conversation. You know, it's so nice to talk about every human being, unless they're a total dimwit, has an emotional attachment to at least one or two movies. I I do to a lot. But that movies are a wonderful storytelling tool, aren't they? What,
1: some, what's your favorite movie, Tom?
0: My favorite movie of all time? Well, it, yeah. it all depends on what we're talking about. Because, Sounds
2: like Animal House.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let me just point to It's probably Blazing Saddles, to be honest. <laughs> I do think Blazing Saddles is one of the funny... Well, Richard Pryor, when he, did, when he tuned oh. up that script for, for, uh, for uh, Mel Brooks, Richard yeah. Pryor was incredibly... Smart, he he. You talk about finger on the pulse, man.
1: Whoo! Yeah, for me it was Last Picture Show. That's the one great movie that I will watch. Great movie. Yeah, huh. every three years or so, I think it's just wonderful.
0: There are a lot of them like that, man. I, well, Cool Hand Luke, I mentioned. Obviously, The Godfather is one of the great movies of all oh, time. Yeah. Just for not three
1: though. Album. That sucks.
0: Oh God, Godfather <laughs> three. Oh Jesus, it's no cool running. Well, oh, that's no cool running, Shane. I'll tell you that. I
1: meant Last Picture Show is my second favorite movie.
0: <laughs> that's exactly.
2: What's your right? first Cool Running? Yes. Yeah, cool Running. <laughs> yes. We're all
0: in Cool Runnings now, Shane. We all joined the club. It's the man. Jamaica has a there.
2: bobsled team. Come on. I mean, what's better than that? And for those who are just joining us, I I absolutely love that film. We were talking about it earlier. I'm not knocking it at all. It's one of my all well, I, it did I, uh,
0: actually just, walker
3: was influenced to get on bo- in the bobsledding by that yeah. movie i just rewatched it for the first time in probably 20 years last year yeah. so uh yeah you're there you're ready to go i, I have right? a question is Shane? it 90 is, is it 90 minutes you're going
2: to be begging for back on your deathbed or did no. You enjoy it? <laughs> no no it's so funny it. yeah i mean it's like it's, it's just it. so good it's lighthearted well, and fun. wait Somebody's
0: voice just changed. Yes. What happened? <laughs> I, uh, I actually am using my real voice now. Wait, wait a second. I'll use my real voice. Here we go. Hello. <laughs> no.
2: Hello. I'm, I'm Melissa. Sorry I'm late, but I'm Andy's Hi, wife. Hi, <laughs> Melissa. I'm Shane. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you.
1: Shane, I had a question for you. My wife and I started watching the Goldbergs last winter to fight off Minnesota boredom, and I love the little Uh, clips that he recorded ostensibly as a kid but there's there's so many of them parts of me wonder if they were actually faked do you know what i'm talking about
2: Uh, you know i could i could lie and tell you yes but i i've seen the show a couple of times okay and i when i've seen it i loved it i i don't have a lot of time for tv uh and i don't mean that as i'm too busy to 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 give it time i just I, I have, in the last couple of years, I've been going from project to project, and, and I'm, I'm finishing up one now. I'm starting one in, in a few weeks. And uh, it's funny, though, I saw, I saw one last night. I was up till four in the morning, uh, taking care of some stuff on these deliverables, and actually came in, and the gold, you know, my TV was left on. And Goldberg's on. I actually watched it this morning. And I know what you mean with the flashback.
1: I mean, there's just so many of them, and they fit so perfectly. It it makes me wonder. Uh, And if you just cataloged all those things. I saw one recently where uh, Barry was going to get married, and George Siegel did a a, a toast at the groom's dinner. Right. And at the end of the show... He cuts to what is uh, ostensibly his real grandfather doing the exact the same one. bit. And they had him side by side. I'm Ooh, like, that, that's just it. amazing.
3: There that's are wonderful. people out I love there. That. I love when you can take
2: something from yesteryear that happened in your life mm-hmm. yeah. and literally yeah. run it parallel. I mean, I hate to, to shamelessly plug, but, you know, Gridiron Gang, the film that we did with Dwayne Johnson, if you if you mm-hmm. watch the end credits, we, we play clips from the documentary that my dad and I did back, you know, years before. <laughs> And, and the script basically mirrored the documentary uh, line for line. And, and it, I totally get what you're saying. It's really neat when you, you have the ability to do that.
3: Yeah. There are uh, people out there who, we were talking about the accessibility of film equipment, and you know, 30, 40 years ago even, the idea of owning a video camera that could display more than you know, like 12 black and white pixels uh, <laughs> was just basically unheard of. And yet there are people who had so much of their childhoods cataloged. It makes me yeah. wonder, it's like, were their parents in film or what's going on here? Because I have, I think their we have like two videos of my entire life. Like a grand total of three minutes before I was like in, in my teens.
1: Maybe you just weren't interesting.
3: Oh, I was interesting. <laughs> <You know. laughs> he was interesting, he was. Right?
2: Yeah, we hear a lot of stories about how interesting he
3: was. They should make a movie about I me. A,
2: I, I had a re- I had a recurring nightmare as a child uh, for many years that haunted me about this man standing over me in the middle of this cornfield. And he was shadowed so I couldn't see his face, and he was on stilts, and he was dancing over me. And it, it haunted me for about many years, where I'd, even in my adult years, it would, it would pop up. So about 10 years ago, I found a dozen film cans from my childhood. Uh, on 8mm, and ran them to a store and had them developed into, you know, digital video. Lo and behold, there was the scene that really? haunted me for years, and it, really? was at a, it was at a pumpkin festival in Calabasas, and um, there was a guy on stilts, and he came right up to the camera and started dancing in front of the camera, huh. and it was so freaky. And I, I, I thank God that, it, okay, good, now I know where that nightmare came from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that all comes from somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah. It all comes from somewhere. No question. You know, by the way, I want to mention because Andy just told me you worked on the show. I have been begging the people in Mankato State University to change the name of the team to the Screaming Eagles now for about 30 years, Shane, and they won't do it.
2: Coach. The screaming baby.
0: Eagles for which show? For coach? Yeah, for coach. Yeah, co- the Screaming Well, Mankato State University is the school at which they're supposed to be. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah. I forgot
3: yeah. about that.
0: So, why they didn't pick up the name the, the Mankato State Screaming Eagles would have been phenomenal. That is a good question. You think it'd be
2: like name. free well, publicity?
3: I think,
2: I, yeah, but you know, the, I, I believe that's an NCAA rated school, correct? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that that they have to they have to approve everything oh, when it God. comes to life. Because I know this because I actually had a University of Texas hat in a film. And uh, that I did years ago, and the approval that we had to get to not throw that out <laughs> was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We got it approved and everything and licensed, but God. just just the fact that a character in the film was wearing the UT logo on a hat, it, it, it was it was months of, of paperwork and approvals that I can only imagine. Back then, when you're doing a hit show, do you want to have to run it through a committee every time you want to have an episode, a show or a script draft, you know, approved. And then once the show is cut, they have to approve that as well. So I, I would bet it had a lot to do with that.
0: So they couldn't just take it from the TV show and name the real university that it would be just as hard as doing using a real university's name for your TV show. It's hard. I hear you, but, you ways. know,
2: Coach took place in Minnesota, right? Yeah,
0: in Mankato, Minnesota is where it's supposed to be. Yeah, so. even
2: though it was shot here at Universal Studios. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think sometimes they just go for this. I, I hear you. I mean, it's mind-blowing sometimes if you think about all the hoops you got to jump through, or hurdles you got to go over just to, to mention a name or have something. Uh, but I know when it comes to the colleges and the pro sports teams, it's, it's pretty tyrannical what they put you through.
0: Shane, it's got, now you said you grew up in the business, your father's in the business, uh, so you've been around the yeah. business your entire life, correct? I have. Yeah, so I mean, for me, you know, being born in like, yes, I did live in Chicago and, and New York and all the rest of it, but most of the time I've spent here in Minnesota. So for me, getting to meet people like, you know, Peter Falk and Jane Fonda and these tremendous, and I don't care if you agree with her politics or not, but Jane Fonda can act, man. She's one hell of oh. an
2: actor. Unbelievable actor. On really Golden Pond is one film I forgot to mention. Yeah. It's yep. one of my favorite films ever.
0: But to meet them in person, and and actually both, you know, many more people, like they come through and they do a radio interview in your studio and you get to meet them and talk to them. And by the way, uh, everyone I ever met, there I think there are like two big name stars that I met that were not very friendly. Most of them yeah. are just very, very, I know they're selling something, I understand that, but they could be a pain in the ass when you're off the air, and they're not. They're very, very pleasant people, and they're just kind of happy with their lives, which I really liked. Yeah. No doubt about it. Peter Falk particularly. What a, he gave me a hug, and while he was hugging me, he goes, what are you doing in Minneapolis, kid? I thought that was yeah. very sweet of him. I really did. I thought it was... <laughs> I said, well, my family's from here. And he goes, oh, okay, I got it.
2: He does a very, uh, very nice. How cool. Yeah, it was well, great. You know, yeah, we run into those gems. You know, uh, I got to tell you, Jane Seymour was probably one of the greats that I had the pleasure of working with. And to this day, we're still very, very good friends. And Jane, you talk about no wonder she's had the career she's had. She's such a delight. She's a pro. Uh, William Shockley, uh, who co-starred on Dr. Quinn with her, is also a great friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, When We were getting ready to work with her. I said, so tell me what I get to look forward to working with Jane. And he said, nobody will be more prepared than she will be. Love it. he was not wrong, and there was nobody nicer. I mean, talk about a great lady, no diva, for rap party. She'll say, hey, guys, we're wrapping the movie. Super Bowl Sunday is coming up. Why don't we just have the rap party at my house and everybody come?" I mean, that's the kind of person she
0: is. Ooh, love it. Yeah, yeah. Man, she's not bad-looking either, Shane. I don't know if you noticed that or
2: not. Not bad on the eyes. I mean, the <laughs> more, this woman, I think she turned 70 this year, and she, she looks phenomenal, and she's got such an incredible spirit. We just did something... Uh, her charity um you know the open hearts foundation about a month ago and I, I had the pleasure of uh zooming with jane and and my wife and i were were on the, the call with her and, and i just said to her i said you just you just keep getting younger you, you yep, just keep looking yep. better every time i see you it's unbelievable
0: shane i really appreciate it. i know you got to move to your next uh, interview but come back soon i loved we all love talking to you thank did you, for you re- to-
2: did you really just say shane come back
0: yeah, come back, Shane. Yeah. Come back, <laughs> Shane. Very good. I've not heard that
2: one in a while. Oh, I could do hey, this too. Guys, well, Stanley. Anytime. Anytime. This was an absolute pleasure and an honor. And anytime you guys know where to find me, please. I, I would do this six days a week if you'd like me. Oh,
0: you're the best. Thank you, Shane.
2: Good luck. Continued success to you guys. Thanks Thank for having you me. You too, sir.
0: Shane Stanley, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called What You Don't Learn in Film School, A Complete Guide to Independent Filmmaking, Shane Stanley. You know, one of those deals there, and I picked up on it very early in the interview, he's not used to people knowing what the hell they're talking about when they interview
3: him. Well, he was, I, he, he was talking about, like, so many people think they know film or right. think they know right. how to write a book. It's, right. You know, basically anyone you talk to has seen at least probably 30 movies in their lives, So they have some idea that, you know, I know how movies are. Right. I could could make a movie. I've seen so many movies. I could just replicate that. But that's definitely not true. There's a lot of stuff in the behind the scenes that people don't, they have no idea what's going on. I can't even imagine what it's like to work with an actor that's a pain in the ass to work with. God,
0: it's got to be horrible.
1: I think things like making movies, it's the same as making records. People think that it's really fun and cool, but right. it's a no, lot of work, and it's really work. boring for the oh, most God, part. Yeah. I mean, you do, do the record same scene, one thing, and then you sit, times. and then you try it again, and then yeah. you do it this way. And it's mm-hmm. just... its just.
3: I, well, and they don't know... They don't understand how many people and how many resources it takes to go into even, like, the simplest movie. Yeah. Like... Clerks, for example, is probably, like, the most famous Gen X or yeah, older millennial. Yeah, yep. Like, any any Gen Xer or older millennial, when you say, like, budget movie, they're probably going to think of Clerks. That or Blair Witch. They're, they might think of Blair Witch, but even Clerks, uh, just for the equipment... Uh, adjusted for inflation was fifty thousand dollars. Oh is it really? For something that was literally just a camera in there's no set. They just went into an existing building and used that as the set. <laughs> really? But it still cost them fifty thousand dollars. The negatives, the film, the all the all the stuff that you wouldn't even need today because you know like negatives don't really exist anymore unless you're going in the very, very high end.
1: My fa- my favorite scene in that movie is when the woman is with her daughter at the film store where Jay is trying mm-hmm. to check for titles at the main office. And he's just l- l- ripping off all these porn titles one after another. Oh, and yeah. yeah. puts the phone down and says, how can I help you?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> really funny. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, hell of a guest, I think. Boy, I just noticed a story popped up on my screen here. I didn't see this one coming. Maybe you guys know the story, but I had no idea. A former Tennessee governor's administration, this is Governor Ray Blanton. You remember Governor Ray Blanton Mm -hmm. of Tennessee, right? No. A former Tennessee governor's administration helped fund a contract murder of a key federal witness decades ago.
3: Holy, they set up a hit. Yeah, there's uh, no statute of limitations on murder. No, there's not. Although, I wonder if there's a statute of limitations on hiring, yeah, contracting a murder. Yeah, I wonder. That's actually an interesting question. Well, maybe I would assume not. Maybe Officer Dave knows, but he probably doesn't run into that too often. How many contract killers have you busted, Dave? Yes,
0: how many? Uh, He helped fund a contract murder of a key federal witness decades ago embroiled in the state's largest political scandal. Law enforcement officials announced on Wednesday, investigators in Hamilton County, which encompasses Chattanooga, have been chipping away at the 42-year-old case of Samuel Pettijohn, since they renewed their investigation in 2015, per the AP, no new charges will be filed because all of the major players involved are dead. Mm. But authorities say wrapping up the case provides closure to one aspect of a complicated piece of Tennessee history. What's well, it's not too complicated if your governor hired a murderer to kill somebody. Uh, Petty John, a Chattanooga businessman, a close friend of union boss Jimmy Hoffa. You pick better friends there, Petty John. Uh, was fatally shot in 1979 in downtown Chattanooga after testifying before a federal grand jury during the early phases of Tennessee's notorious cash for clemency scandal. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I do. God, what a story this is. Is Blanton is Blanton no longer alive? Is, is Ray Blanton dead I don't now? know. And will you look that up and see? if... Uh, Blant is B L A N Ray, Ray B L A N T O N Ray Blanton. Ray Blanton has not
3: been alive for a long time. Oh,
0: so that's why they finally released it because he's been dead for quite some 96.
3: time. Ninety six. Really? Mm. Yeah. Jeez, so he's been dead that long. Yeah. It's uh, good luck arresting him. <laughs> yeah, it ain't gonna be. <laughs> it ain't gonna be happening, is it? He wasn't very old. He was only sixty six when he died. Yeah, I, I could I could understand that, but I suppose.
0: Yeah, that's, you want to be careful in some of those states. You don't want to piss off the governor too much. Otherwise, you take a, one right to the noggin and that's the end of Especially back then. Oh, especially back then. You're absolutely right about
3: that. Well, God, when everything was paper and cash, it was so much easier to do that kind of thing, I'm sure. That's why you don't really hear about hitmen too much anymore. It's because it's like, you know, what are you going to do, Venmo your hitman? There's a bit of a trail there. Well, I, I'm, it's interesting you bring that up because I wanted
0: to ask you this because it came up in the morning show this morning. Bitcoin... Now that the federal government, the FBI, was able to track down Bitcoin by the serial numbers, doesn't that make? Because the whole attraction of Bitcoin <laughs> is it's not traceable,
3: right? That's yeah, why people love it so much. It's it's really not untraceable. No, it's actually it's probably significantly more traceable than cash. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing about the blockchain is the very idea of the blockchain is that I can see where it's going. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like a bunch of train cars. If you take something out of one and move it into another and then right. move it into another, except these train cars have a built in tracking system where it's it tells you exactly which block the Bitcoin's going to, and then it tells you where it went from there and when where it went from there. So if you can pinpoint either the exit or the entrance of the transaction, you can know exactly where it's been, whose pockets it's been in. Right. Trivially. You don't even have to look you don't even have to like be an FBI agent. You could just look it up online. God, that's amazing. But but is it going to hurt the value of Bitcoin now that people are going to realize it actually is traceable? Uh, yeah. Once they figure out a, like, a really good way of figuring out where the transaction started and ended, right. which is really not as difficult as you would think, no. at that point, I guess the question is how much Bitcoin is used for illicit purposes. Because if it's a yeah. lot of it, then you know if it's 80% of it, then the value is going to go down about 80%, I would say.
0: I would have to agree and that's why I asked you that question because it, it looks to me like the value of it's going to <clears throat> drop quite a bit because there's a lot of under
3: yeah, I think it might undercover stuff going on yeah. here. It's like I'm most of the time I would say the best way to go about that kind of business is to just use cash because it's like if I gave you cash and then you gave someone else cash and then that person gave someone else cash, they would have no way of tracing it. But if I gave you a Bitcoin, you gave another person a the Bitcoin, they could see that I gave it to you yeah. and that you gave it to them. So they right. could trace me directly back to it. Yeah, exactly.
0: I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where that ends up. Because what is that, like $32,000 last I saw it or yeah, something like something that? Yeah, something like that. A lot of money. Your mom's got some. I don't know how much she's got. She won't tell me how much she's got. But, you know.
3: Probably too much. <laughs>
0: Probably too much.
3: Probably. Have
1: you bought me a birthday present yet?
0: No, well, then. But hmm. it's coming right up in November. Yeah. You're so
1: I know what I want. Lens. What do you want? Um, there's a producer uh, with Danny Harrison that remastered All Things Must Pass. Oh, God. And, it's, and get all that. I hate Phil Spector. I think it, that wall of sound. Well, I call a it the psychopath. wall of shit. It yeah. just sounds that terrible. That great. Yeah. It was not great.
3: The wall of sound was probably the worst invention in music yeah. history. Well, I agree. It was just, you know,
1: so it's he coming was out in nuts. a new box set coming out in August.
0: A new box set. Yeah,
1: All Things Must Pass remastered.
0: Maybe I'll call Bruce Wayne. Hey, Bruce. Yeah, what do you need, Tommy? Yeah, I want a box set of George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Was that on Capitol though? I can't remember.
1: Uh, I, don't I don't think remember. it was. I don't think I
0: don't think it was either. He, had he gone to Columbia or something by then?
3: I think it might have been Columbia.
0: I don't let's remember. See, uh, <clears throat> obviously, they were on on. Uh, it
3: was an the, E major. I can tell you that much. It was
0: an E major. That's good. That's good to know. Uh, let's see. Valuable Maybe. information. All Things Must Pass came out on Looks Reprise, like it was maybe EMI. It was on EMI. Well, hmm. right? yeah, that was in England though.
3: Yeah, I that don't was know. In I don't think it EMI came out on Trident EMI, and Apple. The old Apple, not the new Apple. The old Apple. Apple yeah. was the Beatles one. So it did come out on Apple. Uh, yeah, which was distributed by. Yeah, did. It is. It yeah, was distributed got by. It
0: still, yeah, we do. So that was still distributed by Capital, I believe, wasn't it?
1: You would know better than anybody in the world. That
0: is probably remember. true. I think that's I don't remember exactly because we're going back a ways now. but
1: well,
0: God, That they, was
3: back in the era where every single song had its own distribution company. Yeah, it did pretty so much. So it's difficult to say. One
0: of the highlights of my life, and I don't know if Catherine even remembers it, because she was there too. But um, No, no, actually the first time she wasn't out there, I didn't meet her for a couple of years, but... The first time I ever went out to Capitol Tower in 1977, they flew me out to Capitol to sign my deal and meet all everybody and all the rest of it. And they said, "You got to see this." I said, "What?" He goes, "Just I don't want to tell you what it is, but I want to bring you there. You got to see this." Brings me into Studio A recording at Capitol Tower. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. I mean, you get on the list of all the people that were on
1: Capitol Records. Didn't they say that that building was the building that Nat King Cole built?
0: Yep, absolutely. Nat King Cole. I mean, to stand in the same room as all. Of, it was like the time that I was invited to go into the locker room at the old Yankee Stadium all of a sudden I realize I'm standing in front of Babe Ruth's locker, which means I'm standing right where Babe Ruth used to stand. That's a weird feeling, man. Yep. I mean, I obviously don't know anything about he's He was dead long before you know I came along. Yeah. So that it wasn't a personal thing. It's just, God, Babe Ruth, no, maybe the greatest it's... baseball player in history. And then you're standing where Frank Sinatra sang and Dean Martin sang and Nat King Cole sang and all these people. You're right. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, EMI owned capital at the time. Yeah, they did, yeah.
3: So, yeah, because it was technically originally released by EMI, then Capital would have had rights to it.
0: Makes total I sense, man. It. But those are thrills when you when you're in this cuz I didn't know where I was going. He just he said you got to see this. I so I didn't know where we were going. He opened a door, I walked in, it's a recording. So I was like, "Oh, this is nice." He goes, "Yeah, well, it's a little more than nice." <laughs> <laughs> the original mics are still there or they were 30, 40 years ago. All whatever.
1: those super valuable uh, Neumanns.
0: All the Neumanns, yeah. I'd say We're all Neumanns, too. Yep. Very good.
1: U47s, if I remember right. God, isn't that
0: just amazing. We shall take a break. Car selling secrets. Boy, that hour International
1: was edition. Fast. Did you uh, send our guest the Zoom?
3: I will as soon as we're done recording. Zoom. Oh, okay, laca, laca, perfect. Laca. Zoom? Couldn't he come from Israel?
1: Actually, How he will be is here it, in really? a couple of weeks. So, Wait, if, we? if he does a good job, then we can have him live.
0: If he does a good job, that's. If he doesn't suck, Tom, we'll have a. This is a trial run. Yeah, a trial run. What's his name? Tall yeah. Mizels. Tall Mizels. I was talking to Tall Misels yesterday, and they told me, <laughs> "We." we will should, be,
3: you should interview him in that I voice. Say, "Listen." <clears throat> what? I'll just keep, keep doing. Old, I'll keep doing the old Billy Crystal. Run. <clears throat> what? <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> that would be
0: fantastic. We'll be back.